been singing tonight. Take your Bibles, if you would. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews tonight. Book of Hebrews. And um, I was talking to Steve uh, before the message this evening, and he, uh, I, I mentioned to him what I was planning to preach, and he said something along the lines of, how did you, how did you say? He said, he said, wait a second, didn't someone preach from Hebrews recently? Yes, that was me. This is not the same message, okay? So if you were in there on a Sunday night, um, yes, it was, uh, it was me. It is a different message, I swear, okay? All right, I said that, and I can't even keep him from, just kidding, no. He's, um, he's going to head up, help with some stuff with the teens tonight, and so we appreciate he and Sarah, so they don't, <laughs> Sarah turned around, she's like, uh, <laughs> all right. I have a little bit of a, I have a little bit of an issue I have to take up with Pastor Matt because uh, I was going to embarrass Cindy Heineke um, for her birthday, and so thanks for taking that away. Um, well, we were uh, be in prayer for Cindy and for Alan. Um, Cindy, as some of you may know, had surgery a few weeks ago. Uh, man, how long has it been now, Alan? Three weeks? Four weeks now? Four weeks now? Um, she had surgery, and um, things are going very well. Her recovery um, is well underway, and so just, uh, if you would, pray for them for continued recovery. Um, pray for uh, minimal pain through the recovery process. It's a big prayer request. Um, and so far, so good, um, but we continue to be in prayer. Um, there's still some time to go until um, 100%, and so be in prayer for them. Um, Hebrews chapter number one tonight, and um, as I was studying um, for uh, the message that um, Stephen mentioned a few weeks ago, um, if you remember that, if you were present for that, um, it was out of Hebrews chapter number four, um, and we were on the topic that night of Jesus gives a better rest. And really the theme of the book of Hebrews is what I want to introduce to you tonight. That night, if you were present for that, and Steve actually rattled off the name of, uh, I guess what I would give the title of the message tonight. Um, I'll get to that in just a second. But he, uh, he kind of rattled it off. And I'm like, yeah, that's what we're talking about tonight. That's, and that's it. Um, because on that night, I kind of introduced it as I was introducing the book. But tonight I want to take a little bit more time get in depth. What is the book of Hebrews? Why is it important to us? Why does it matter? Where does it come from? Hebrews is, it's just, it's a, it's a unique book. Um, you see, when you, um, when you study the Bible, when you teach someone to study the Bible, as I thoroughly enjoy doing, um, and even as I preach, I try to model Bible study for, for you. I try to show you guys, so that I, I, my desire for you is this. I don't want you to walk away saying, wow, he's such a good anything. Uh, I want you to walk out of here saying, you know what, I could have preached that. I could have taught that. Um, I want it to be so saturated with scripture that you could open up your Bible and that you could say, I could teach that. Because the fact is, is that it probably could, because it's in the scripture already. This is nothing unique to me. This is nothing new to me. Uh, I, I'm not trying to reinvent anything. I'm trying to open up the scriptures and help uh, unveil what sometimes is veiled. And so as we're going into Hebrews chapter number one tonight, we're going to find kind of a mysterious book. It's a unique book. Um, in the New Testament, from, all the way from uh, the book of Acts, and even Acts in its own right is a, a letter, but Romans all the way through, um, all the way through Jude, uh, those are all what we call letters, or epistles. That's our fancy word for them. Uh, they're all letters. But all of the letters, except the book of Hebrews, open up with some kind of a, uh, an introduction. I, the author, so-and-so, Paul, John, Peter, whoever it may be, to so-and-so. Hebrews doesn't start that way. Hebrews ha it doesn't begin even close to that way. In fact, Hebrews is almost written more like a sermon 
for the first three quarters of the book until the very end when it kind of comes in and says, hey, greet so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and lays out a little bit of context for us finally as he's wrapping up the book. And so as you study the Bible, one of the most important things for us to do is to gather context. We want to know uh, who this book is being written to. We want to know who the uh, who is writing the book, and this is all information that you can, you can find online, you can find in good commentaries. There are spaces today of all days we can find all of this stuff, and, and it brings life to the books that we're studying. But here's the funny thing about the book of Hebrews. Um, a lot of the answers to these questions in the book of Hebrews is simply this. We don't know. We don't know. So if you were to start trying to understand context, you can say, when was it written? We don't know. We have an idea. Uh, we know that it was written sometime before, most people think it was written sometime before 80, 70. Um, so 70 years, uh, around 70 years after the birth of Christ. Uh, and here's why, and here's why that's important. You see, Jesus was crucified around AD 30. So this is within a generation of the death of Christ. People reading this book would have been witnesses to Jesus. John was still alive. A few of the other apostles were still alive. And they would have had understanding and knowledge of this book. Um, and in the year AD 70, a major event occurred in Israel. Uh, the temple where the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem was destroyed. But Hebrews doesn't mention that. Hebrews instead talks about the sacrificial system and says, even today these sacrifices are made. Well, after the year AD 70, those sacrifices weren't made because there was no temple to make them at. And so, as we look at this, we kind of know about when it was written. Uh, who wrote it? We don't know. We don't know. There's some that guess it was one person or another, but the, the, the real answer is we don't know. Um, we know that they learned from the apostles. If you look at chapter 2, verse number 3, they were learned from the apostles who saw Jesus firsthand. They don't claim to see Jesus firsthand in this, which probably means it wasn't Peter or John who would have seen Jesus firsthand. Or even Paul says that he saw Jesus firsthand and goes back to the time when Jesus appeared to him on the way to Damascus. And I saw Jesus with my own eyes. This guy never claims that. He never says that. And as we read this book, what we're going to see here, uh, even just a little bit in these first few verses, but in a much greater way when you get into the end of chapter 1 and in chapter number 2, is that the, the author of this book, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament. I mean, they knew the Old Testament a lot. They knew the Old Testament a lot. I mean, as you're reading through this, as you're studying through this, it's just saturated with quotes from Scripture. And if your Bible is formatted um, in a paragraph form, what you find is you find quotations and indents and things like that all through the book of Hebrews because it's constantly going back to the Old Testament Scriptures. And we're going to see why that's important in a few minutes. The person that wrote this was probably of a Jewish background. Um, the book of Hebrews was probably written by a Hebrew for a Hebrew because they're quoting the Old Testament incessantly. Uh, a Gentile believer would not have the depth of understanding that the Jewish believer had. So who was it written by? We don't know. Who was it written to? We don't know. Uh, why was it written? This, this we know. This we know. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1, and we're going to hit this just to begin, and then we're going to jump, we're going to jump into um, the passage in just a moment. Why is it written? Why would this author, who was willing to, through history, remain anonymous, uh, why 
would he write to someone that we don't even know of? Uh, perhaps there was a messenger that was taking this letter that was able to verbally pass that along, and it just got lost throughout the years, but whoever this is, why were they writing it? And then why would God allow this text to be preserved but not allow us to know the authorship or the audience? Look here in chapter 2, verse number 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So what's the challenge? To give the more earnest heed. We don't really talk like that, do we? Does anyone ever challenge someone else? Give more earnest heed! All right, right? No? No one? Anybody? How many of you guys are going to use that tonight, like on your kids? All right, I'm going to start. I'm going to, Blake, I see you. All right. Yeah, tonight I'm going to be like, Lucy, give them more earnest heed. All right. And she probably should. You're like, what does it even mean? Here's what it means. Here's what it means. Listen, listen better. Listen better. Because here, what he's challenging here is follow closer. Follow closer. Listen more intently. And even as we start the book in just a minute, you're going to see how he begins from the, from the gate. He addresses this. And he says, listen more carefully. Follow closer than you've ever followed before. And you understand that the people that are witnessing these things, just based on the time frame that they were living in, the time frame that they were coming into, these are believers in Jesus that had watched people struggle and watched people go through difficulty. Many of these believers probably, either if they had not lived in Jerusalem themselves for a period, they probably had family members that had. But if you think back to the book of Acts, what we see happening in Jerusalem is this great explosion of Christianity after Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection. His followers began telling everyone. I mean, wouldn't you? Imagine this guy that you've been following and you've heard him teaching and then all of a sudden he was dead and it was the end of the world and it was the worst thing that had ever happened and then all of a sudden you see him and he's alive. You're like, wait a second, wait a second. I saw you on the cross. I, I watched you put in the tomb. What are you doing here? This doesn't make any sense. You'd be telling everyone too. And they probably think you're a, a lunatic except that, wait a second, I can't prove you're wrong. I, man, I want to not believe, but I, I'm compelled. I, I can't not believe. And so these people begin to spread, but the religious leaders still hated them, just like they hated Jesus, as Jesus said would happen. And then persecution comes to the church. Saul, who we would know better as Paul, would come and would begin to wreak havoc, his words, of the church. They begin to drag off men and women into prison, have leaders of the church like Stephen killed for their faith. And so all of a sudden, these Jewish believers, this primarily Jewish sect, is now scattered. Just like taking a hammer to a flame, embers everywhere, and they begin to spark up churches. And so now we find these believers, a few years later, establishing themselves wherever they landed. We don't know. We have ideas. We don't know. But they were establishing themselves in the work of the Lord. But now the time had come that they were getting comfortable within their faith. They were getting complacent with the things that they had heard. 
and they were on the verge, at risk of, letting them slip. And so the author writes and says, hey, you got to listen better. Hey, you got to follow closer. And he knew, he knew times were coming, that persecution was coming once again to the church. And so he said, be aware, this is happening. This is what you need to hang on to. And so he begins to write the book of Hebrews. And the theme of the book of Hebrews is this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. You say, okay, Nate, Jesus is better than what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is better. And tonight, as we jump into the beginning, the introduction of this book, that's the theme. Jesus is better. But the important thing for us as we dig into this is, are, are we listening? Are we listening? And, and this book begins with a very powerful opener, one of the most powerful opening statements in, in all of Scripture. Bypassing the generic introduction, the author here jumps right in and says this, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. He just begins. This introduction is actually really, really interesting as well. Um, in Greek uh, culture, an orator would begin their argument uh, with this great, bold statement, this opening volley, if you will. Today, in a research paper, we may call this like a thesis statement or something like that, but that is how Greek orators were trained to speak. And so this has even led some people to believe this is a man by the name of Apollos, a man who was of a Jewish heritage but had some Greek training, was known as a good orator. Uh, that he may have been the one to write this book because it starts off just like a speech would, just like your speech teacher would have taught you to do. It opens right up with this hook. God, who in many different ways at many different times spake through his prophets. And as we jump right in here, there's something that important to remember about the Jews. The Jews loved their prophets. I mean, they loved them after they were dead. They didn't love them while they were alive, but they loved their prophets. Oh, they were, oh man, oh, Jeremiah, what a wonderful man of God who our ancestors threw in a pit and left to die. Uh, what a wonderful man of God. This, these other, oh, these prophets, Elisha and Elijah, who our kings persecuted and drove out and our fathers enforced and killed. And, oh, but after they're dead, they loved them. And so immediately, as he's speaking of the prophets, he's invoking this thing within the hearts of his hearers. The prophets are, are people that are lifted up and they're respected. These are, these are people who, oh man, the prophets. They, they wrote the scriptures. They penned the words that God inspired of them. Oh, the prophets. And they lifted up. They elevated these prophets. But you know, from the very beginning, the picture that the author is painting is he's saying, hey, listen, the prophets are incomplete. God spoke through them in many ways and many times, but he's going to draw a contrast right here, and he says this. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Prophets, son. But even understand, as he levels this, he says he, at sundry times, what that means is, is this. It means many times. Uh, there are many parts, there are many portions here. And individually, when you study the prophets, fascinating study, by the way, just because the Bible is difficult to study sometimes doesn't mean it's not worth studying. Uh, but the prophets, as we study different books of the prophets, we find that each of them viewed God just a little bit differently. 
And they wrote about God just a little bit differently. There are different themes to the books, different patterns within the books. And we see that, uh, for example, Amos is all about justice and justice being done for the people of God. Isaiah lifts up the holiness of God. How there's none like him. He's holy in his sanctuary. Hosea speaks of the faithfulness of the love of God. And so we see things that are all true about God revealed one piece at a time. And what this can be called is progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. God didn't all of a sudden just reveal every piece about himself to mankind, but what did he do? He progressively revealed an element of his nature and of himself to these prophets. And over time, these prophets spake as they were moved by God. They recorded the words that God led them to record. And eventually, they found the fullness of what the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was able to give. And God spoke unto them in many ways and in many manners. Um, God spoke at times through an audible voice. God spoke at times through an angel. He spoke through a donkey. He spoke through a whirlwind. He spoke through worship songs. He spoke through burning bushes, through dead men coming alive. He spoke through all kinds of different ways to his prophets. And so God here is, this author here is laying out, God spoke many times, many places, many different ways. God spoke but Jesus is better. But Jesus is better. Because in these last days, he's not speaking to us on, uh, anymore through the, through the prophets. He's speaking unto us by his son. By his son. And you know what he says? He says these are the last days. The, the, the prior revelation, that, yes, it's all well and it's good, but we don't, now we're, it's been consummated. It's been, it's been finished. The, the, everything this was leading up to, Jesus has come and he's spoken on us by his Son. You see, the, the prophets gave the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. Jesus didn't come bringing the word of God. Jesus was the word of God. The message that the Old Testament prophets had was him. And so now as Jesus is here, as Jesus is on the scene, here, he's saying, he's better. He's better. You adore the prophets. You think the prophets are something special. And understand that these Jewish believers had a lot of pressure to step back into Judaism, step back into legalism, into having to uh, go through the routines and the rituals of the law. And the author here is saying, hey, yeah, prophets are well and good, but the guy the prophets spoke about He's here now. He came. He walked among us. And what's really fascinating, check this out, that hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. You notice uh, in, in, your, in your Bible, um, if you're using King James, using King James Version of the Bible, you see that the word there, his, is in italics. That means it's kind of added for our understanding. Um, this, this passage here, there's a lot of Hebrews that if you just took the word right out of Greek, stuck it right in English, it just doesn't make any sense. Like phonetically, it just doesn't read. It doesn't English, okay? Um, what it says here, what it says, that word that it's translated by, and it's a good translation. It's not a bad translation. Don't get me wrong here. It's a good translation. That word is letter, literally N, which means, does anyone want to guess? In. It's the word in. In his son. By his son. His son is the message that he is given. God has spoken in the person of his son. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. 
the Word was with God, the Word was God. John would later write in 1 John, chapter number 1, that their hands had handled of the Word of life. The Word that the prophets had was a good Word because it was directing people to Jesus. But it was incomplete because Jesus wasn't here. But now, the author of Hebrews is saying, his son, his son. And you say, well, the apostles, what about the apostles on their part? You know what the apostles did? They were witnesses. They were witnesses of Jesus. What did they speak of? The only one of them that levies out any kind of prophecy was John. You know who gives them that prophecy? Jesus. Jesus. John, Revelation chapter number one. It's the, first per, it's the one that he sees. But even the rest of the New Testament, who, what does it point to? Jesus. Jesus. And so here, Jesus is better. Watch what he continues to, he continues to lay this out. Who may have to point at heir of all things? Heir of all things. You know what prophets were? They, were? they were servants of the Most High God. And that's a lofty title. Servant of God, that's a beautiful thing. But you know what Jesus is? Jesus is the heir. He's the heir. He's not a servant, he's the son. He's the one that's going to, he's the priority. Jesus is better. The prophets, they pointed and they waited, but Jesus is what they were pointing to and waiting for. And he says this, by whom also he made the worlds. You see, the prophets had accomplished some things, right? Can we all say the, accomplish, the prophets accomplished some really impressive things, right? Uh, I mean, they wrote portions of scripture that are still here today, thousands of years after they lived. If any of us do that, I mean, it would be an amazing thing, right? Probably most of us would not want the things that we wrote to be around in thousands of years, right? <laughs> uh, these guys were part of penning the scriptures. They gave messages from God. They, they were part of revolutions. They were part of speaking truth to kings and to nations. And the, these prophets did some impressive things. But he's lining him up against Jesus, and he says this. He made the worlds. He made the worlds. That word worlds carries with it so much weight. Because that word worlds doesn't just mean like the things that exist now. It means the things that have always existed and will always exist. It means every version of this world from past, present, to future, he created. He's above all of it. If you think you've accomplished anything, Jesus is better. Think, just think about this. Sometimes I, 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 sometimes I love to uh, just think about the, the vastness of the, the universe, right? You're driving in your car, and you get into a rural area. There's not a lot of lights, and you can see the stars just going on for I mean, light years. I almost said miles, um, but miles is way, way underselling it, right? Think about this. Uh, I looked this up. I thought this was just mind-blowing. A nonstop flight from Dubai to San Francisco covers the distance of about 8,000 miles, okay? So think Dubai, San Francisco. That's a long ways, right? 8,000 miles. We can all agree, long ways. Uh, that's roughly the distance, the diameter of the Earth. So if you were to bore straight through the Earth, about 8,000 about 8, miles, plus a lot of heat and death and things like that. Um, so the sun... We all know this, right? This is not reinventing anything. The sun is bigger than the earth. Everyone knew that? Okay. The sun is actually about 
about 100 times, the diameter is about 100 times greater. So the mass is that multiplied over uh, so many, <laughs> more times than I'm gonna do the math for right here. The distance between the Earth and the sun is about 100 times larger than the sun, okay? So now we're, we're multiplying out here, all right? We're talking 10,000 times. Uh, so this, we're, we're about 10 million miles, 10 million miles, or 100 million, I'm sorry, 100 million miles is right around where we're at now. So this distance, 100 million miles, is called an astronomical unit. Astronomical unit, or an AU. Um, spacecraft Voyager. How many of you guys remember Voyager launch, 1977? All right, all right, some of you guys, all right, awesome. Yeah, probably a good amount of the crowd in here, right? Um, I don't, um, but hey. So, just say. So, now think, think about this, this is fascinating to me, okay? Voyager 1, Voyager 1, Tra left the Earth traveling 11 miles per second. 11 miles per second, fast, right? It's now 137 astronomical units from the sun. 137. So the distance we are from the sun, it's 137 times further. That's amazing, right? That's, that engineering, that's just, that's incredible. So the nearest star, uh, Proxima Centauri, is about 270 thousand astronomical units away. So it's, it's been traveling for, since, since 1977, okay? Math, what is that? It's 42 years, right? Right? So 42 years it's been traveling, it's 137 of these units. To get to the nearest star, it needs to only go 257,000 more of them. To get to the closest star. That equates to about four, about four light years away. Um, so we go back to our sun analogy, that's 30 million suns. 30 million suns lined up end to end. Um, in fact, four light years, that distance, is about the average distance between stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. Um, that's a lot of empty space, first of all. The Milky Way contains about 300 billion stars. 300 billion stars. It's about 100,000 light years in diameter. So to get to the closest planet, Proxima Centauri, Voyager 1, if it were going the right direction, it's not, Voyager 1 could get there in about, ready for this, 75,000 years. 75,000 years for Voyager 1 to get to the nearest star. And this is all, this is all just within our galaxy, by the way. I mean, our galaxy's pretty big. Anyone want to guess about how many galaxies scientists are estimating there are? 100 billion. Wrap your mind around like any of that. Like, I'm still stuck on the diameter of the Earth, okay? <laughs> I'm like back there. I'm like, wait a second, what? These are unfathomable numbers. Where'd it come from? Where'd it come from? The Bible says that Jesus made it. That he's the one that created these things. That are, that were, that will be. There's been an amazing scientific breakthrough in the last uh, couple months where they were able to kind of map the imagery of a black hole for the first time. Incredible science, incredible tech. The destructive power of this black hole is just astronomical. You know who made the thing? Jesus. Like, you think anything you did is impressive? 
You think, I mean, you think the, the pretty deck that you put on the back of your house by yourself, I mean, doesn't stack up, does it? I mean, come on. Wow, you built a business. Probably more than I can do. I mean, I'll give you that. But Jesus, he's better. He's better. It doesn't even compare. This is the one who hung the stars and the planets. And think about this. Most stars have planets surrounding them, okay? Just start adding all of that in. Start multiplying all those numbers out. Tom, get on it. I mean, it's not even, I mean, it doesn't even make sense. My mind is just like, 8,000 miles, that's a long ways. I'm still stuck here. But Jesus made these things. He created these things. Stephen Hawking, uh, one of the brightest minds um, of his generation, passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, he, he, he said this in his book, A Brief History of Time. He said, discoveries in the early 20th century have suggested that the universe had a beginning. Man. <laughs> wow, way to understate this, right? Like We're like, the Bible's been teaching this for forever, <laughs> okay? We disagree on what the beginning was, but... Yeah, it had a beginning. His name is Jesus. He's the one who hung these things. And before you're like, wow, I mean, really, is that... Fi-? Okay, we're talking about a guy who was dead and is alive, okay? Let's, I mean, that's... that's a, I don't know about you, that's kind of enough for me. This is the guy who, who, who was dead. He was crucified. He rose again, conquered death, defeated it. He says he created everything. I'm saying, yes, sir. Man. He's done more than I ever have, ever will. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And watch this. Who bring the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The brightness of his glory is this fascinating phrase. Um, So when you look at the sun, don't look at the sun, but when you do, how many of you guys know you're not like seeing the sun itself, right? What are you seeing? If you were to go out there tomorrow, the sun's kind of down now, stare at the sun, what are you going to see? Nothing, because you're going to burn your eyes out. Why? Because what are you seeing? You're seeing the radiance of the sun, aren't you? The light from the sun, the combustion, everything that's taking place within that magnificent creation. You're seeing these things going out. And it's the last thing you'll see. <laughs> Just saying, so don't like, actually try it. You know, what was the saying? Jesus is the, right, is the, he's the radiance of God, the radiance of the glory of God. The glory of God shining out. If God wanted to put his full glory on display, you know how he's doing it? Jesus. Jesus. Sometimes we, we, get, we get in our minds, we want to see, oh, we want to see this thing to God. Oh, we want to see God, and we'd love to see these Old Testament stories about how God did this and God did that. And yes, I'm not taking away from any of that. It'd be fascinating, it'd be amazing, have my interest, right? But if God wanted to show off Jesus... Jesus, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's the one that did all of these things. And he even said this, you've seen Jesus in his glory, you've seen the glory of God. The light of the sun is inseparable from the sun. And Jesus and his radiance inseparable from the Father. And watch this phrase, I love this phrase, the express image of his person. Express image of his person. That, that phrase, express image, um, it comes from a, a Greek word. It's one Greek word that makes these two English words. Um, the, the Greek word is this, karktar, okay? 
I'm butchering that. I'm trying, all right? Karaktar. What does that sound like, English word? Cindy, see him out, all right? Put him in line at home, okay? Goodness. Karaktar, all right? What, what, what is the English word that that sounds like? Anybody? I'll spell it for you. Um, the equivalent is C-H-A-R-A-C-T-E-R. Character. Character. Uh, and this isn't, this is kind of the archaic version of it, so this isn't like today we're like, oh, character, it's a guy that's on a show or in a book or whatever. Character is this. It's, it's a symbol or a sign or a letter. A, a character here, what would happen is a tradesman would engrave a symbol or engrave a letter on a piece of clay, and as that would harden, it would become firm. This would be a seal used for letters, used for any kind of signatures, whatever it may be. And this engraving would be taken and would be pressed into hot metal, hot wax, and would leave an imprint. Have you guys seen something like that in a movie, right, or on whatever, a Discovery Channel? Press that in there. That's a, that's a character, a karktar. And here, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the perfect character of the Father. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. He's the exact image. He's the exact imprint. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And you say, well, why doesn't, why doesn't Jesus say anything? John chapter number 14, Jesus dies. You see, Philip uh, was questioning him, and he says, hey, listen, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why do you say, show us the Father? Because he came to me saying, Lord, show us the Father. And he said, how long have you been following after me that you're asking that question? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the express, the perfect, the unblemished image of the Father's person. He's not hidden He's here. And watch this. What is he doing? Upholding all things by the word of his power. All things that, are, that exist, they're sustained by him. They're kept in motion by him. You see, the prophets here, they taught the word. Jesus is the word. He's the message. He's the point. And he's the one that, with his hands, not even with his hands, what does he even say? Watch this. It's incredible. Upholding all things by the word of his power. The word of his power. He's able to sustain this universe as it exists. That's power. That's power, right? This is Jesus. So what's, what's the point? Watch this. See, the audience here, they thought that they had outgrown Jesus. They thought they needed to do something else to bolster their beliefs with law and with practices and studies that move beyond the person of Jesus. Uh, they, they, they thought maybe that, that Jesus was milk and they were ready for meat. Understand this. Jesus is milk and meat. You don't outgrow Jesus. You don't get into your study of the scriptures and say, yeah, 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 I know the Jesus stuff. Next step. It doesn't work that way. He's the first step, the second step. He's the last step. He's everything in between. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's more complete. He's more fulfilled. Why, why is this? Watch verse number four, because this is the, the pinnacle that he, uh, I'm sorry, verse number three here. This is the pinnacle, the end of this verse, that the author is lifting up. He's building here. He's the, the, 
the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, watch this, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down. Did he sit down when he finished with creation? Do we read that he sat down when he, when he finished speaking through the prophets? When does he sit down? When is his work fulfilled? When is he finished? What is the, the pinnacle of the work that Jesus has done when he purged our sins? When he washed our sins away? When Jesus, the Son of God, after he had came in the form of a man, taking on the form of a servant, allowed the sins of the world to be placed on him. This same Jesus that created everything, as he goes to the cross, as he suffers the mockery, suffers the shame, suffers everything that we would want no part of, going to the cross on our behalf. Understand, same Jesus. Same Jesus. He had no less power, he had no less ability, he had no less memory, he had no less any of these things. Same Jesus that created the planet, that breathed life into the lungs of Adam. The same Jesus, the same creator, the same God that had done all of these things, carrying his own cross, taking on the form of his own creation. And then what they do? They took nails. They attached him to this cross. They watched him die. They, they mocked him. They mistreated him. And what, how did he take it? Can you imagine them sitting here saying, if you're the son of God, come down. He wouldn't even, he wouldn't even have to, he could have just, the cross, all of a sudden they could be looking up and the cross just disappears and he's standing, I mean, he doesn't have to like, do, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He doesn't have to do anything. He has nothing to prove. But what does he do? He takes it. Silently, he suffers. He doesn't put up a fight. And he dies on that cross. He dies in an agonizing, humiliating way that, that none of us, if you've never studied the depth of crucifixion, the depravity of crucifixion, it's, it, it's haunting the things that he endured. But he did. And then he was taken down, not given any kind of a, a processional burial, but really a, a hurried burial because he had to be in the grave before Passover. He had to be in the grave before, before the next day began. And so they took him, they wrapped him, they placed him in a borrowed tomb. It wasn't even his. They didn't even have time to prepare the body for burial. They were going to come and do it on Sunday after the Passover had finished. And when they come to prepare this body that they had no time to do a few days before, what did they find? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. All of a sudden, if the same Jesus is the Jesus that spoke the stars into existence, it, it makes sense that, he, of course, he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Wait a second, wait a second. You thought he would stay dead? The guy who said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. And you thought he would... I just imagine Jesus in front of his disciples. You guys seriously thought that I wasn't... How did I... Really, guys? Really? And not until that work was done does the Bible tell us that he sat down. He sat down. His work was finished. He was done. 
There was no more to do. His purpose for coming was completed, and now he sits down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, my friends, Jesus is better. And even here, he's portraying and he's playing against the Old Testament sacrifices. He's speaking of the purging of sins. He's saying, he's the one who purged our sins. You think you have to take a sacrifice to the temple every year? It doesn't make any sense. He already paid for those things. And it's done. He has sat down. It is finished. He is on the, he's where he belongs, on the right hand of the majesty on high. He was the better sacrifice. He paid it once for all. There is no more sacrifice for sins. He's completed it. He's better. He's better. And here, the audience of this book wanted to leave the fullness of Jesus. They wanted to go chase the emptiness of their religion, emptiness of their culture they wanted to pursue other things and we say how dare they but don't we do the same thing don't we do the same thing we bow to thrones of moralism and piety and and, uh, leisure and convenience and uh, fiscal opportunity and we all of a sudden these gods come knocking at our door and we go face down we worship these things But if the author of the book of Hebrews had the chance to write to us tonight and speak to us tonight, you know what I think he'd say? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Don't settle for that stuff. Don't settle for the things that the world is trying to sell you. Jesus is better. And you think that your relationships or your job or whatever it may be can compete with this? Jesus is better. There's nothing that even comes close to him. And understand that as, as we are digging into this, uh, sometimes we can even go back to the Old Testament. We just totally misinterpret the Old Testament because we don't have in our minds that Jesus is in the Old Testament. But when Jesus was here, you know what the Bible says, that he taught his disciples uh, how he was everywhere in the Old Testament. And sometimes we can look at Abraham and be like, oh, do, you know, be like Abraham and follow God. Don't be like Abraham and lie about your sister being your wife or your sister. Oh, man, it's... Uh, be like Moses and how he led the people out of, out of Egypt, but don't, you know, kill a guy or disobey God. Uh, be like David, defeat the giant, but don't have an affair and then lie about the affair and then kill a guy to cover up your lie about the affair. And then all of a sudden, what do we do? We take the Old Testament and we say, oh, look at these people. But you know what the Old Testament's about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus is better. Sure, these men did some admirable things. Sure, there are some habits that are worthy of emulation. But more importantly, the point is this. Jesus, the Messiah, he's worthy of our adoration. And Jesus, he's better. One pastor said this. Jesus is the truer and better Adam. He passed the test in the garden. His obedience is now imputed to us. Jesus was the truer and better Isaac not just offered up by his father on the mount, but actually sacrificed for us. Jesus is the truer and better Jacob, who wrestled, he took the blow of justice we deserve so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the truer and better Joseph, who sits at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed him, uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the truer and better Moses, who stands in the gap between his people and the Lord and mediates a new covenant. Jesus, the truer and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, intercedes for his stupid friends. Jesus is the truer and better David, 
whose victory became ours. Even though we never lifted a stone to help, he's the truer and better Samson, crushed under the weight of the wicked world to conquer our enemies and to save us. He's the truer and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so that the angel of death can pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. In the end, the Bible's really not all about you. It's all about him. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. This is a book written to us. It's not a book written about us. It's written about him. It's written about him. Whatever it is that you're chasing tonight, Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than your hopes. He's better than your dreams. He's better than your highs. He's better than your desires. He's better than your needs, your opportunities, your circumstances, whatever it may be. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. There's not a thing in your life that is worth giving up Jesus for. There's not a single object of desire. There's not a single goal worth achieving. Jesus is not better than. These aren't bad things that the author is stacking up Jesus against. These are good things. And what does he say? Jesus is better. He's better. You see, the world can present us a lot of things. And we like them. They make us feel good. They're fun. They're enjoyable. It's not sinful, so. But I think C.S. Lewis said it best when he said this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I don't know about you, but that's where I find myself. I find myself desiring things that, they're down here. Jesus is better. I find myself being easily satisfied with things that I can, I can shove into my heart and that, that make me feel complete. But then at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I'm still empty. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Just like the sacrifices were going to leave them empty, just like the prophets were not going to be able to measure up, just like Jesus is better than all of those things, Jesus is better than anything else that you can be pursuing. Jesus is better than anything else that you can chase. Jesus is better. So tonight, my message is a very, very simple one. It's this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And I'm probably speaking to a few different groups of people tonight. Group, what we'll call group number one, if you're sitting in here, you say, you know what, I'm not a Christian, or I've gone to church, and so that, I'm Christian by that association, but you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, what we, when we talked about his death, his burial, his resurrection, for our sin, you say, that's foreign to me. I've never put my faith in that. Listen, he did, it, he did that for you. He did that for you. He, he did that because you could never earn your way to him. You can never get rid of your sin. He purged it because you can't. So he died. He was buried. He rose again for you. Jesus is better than any work you can complete, than any goodness you can do. Jesus is better. And if that's you tonight, if you're sitting here, I know it's a Wednesday night, and so I know generally Christian crowd, but if you're sitting in here and you say, hey, I've never put my faith in that Jesus, 
just a minute, I would love to give you a chance to. Because I would love for you to just take him at his word. Try it, prove him, test him. That's fine. He says in the Psalms, taste and see, the Lord is good. Jesus is better. Maybe there's some of you in here that you don't know spiritually where you're at. You put your faith in Jesus, but you're kind of wandering. You say, I don't know where I belong. I don't know if I should give myself wholly to this thing. I'm going to dip my toe into this church thing. I'm going to kind of wade out a little bit, but I am I, a little skeptical. I'm a little unsure. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And understand that sampling a little bit of Jesus and then sampling something else, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna see it that way. You're gonna fill up on you're gonna be like my two year old. You're gonna fill up on junk food and be unsatisfied with the meal. That's what you're gonna do. You're gonna find yourself empty, and it's not because Jesus failed. It's it's because you didn't you didn't buy in. You, you didn't surrender to him. There's some of you in here that you've been saved for a long time. You're faithful in church. You seek after God. Some of you, you say, in my life, man, I can prove it. If you, if you push me on this, I can prove it in my life. I believe that. I live that. Jesus is better. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Praise God for that. But maybe there's some of you in here that are in the, uh, fall into another category where you, you do the church thing. You're here. Doors are open. But man, Monday, uh, you know, maybe think about God every once in a while. Say a quick prayer before meals. Tuesday, Wednesday, you're here. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe go to a Bible study here or there. But in your life, you have no evidence or your heart doesn't fully understand that Jesus is better. Maybe in the interim, you're, you're pursuing other things. Maybe even things that no one else in this room knows about. Maybe we couldn't pin you down and say, aha, you're pursuing this. But, but in your heart, oh, you know. You know. Something else has jumped in and you've believed a lie. You've believed a lie. You've believed that something is better than Jesus. And tonight, tonight, I just compel you. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Are you, are you listening? Jesus is better. Don't, don't, don't listen, listen, pursue this. Chase after this, just like the author of Hebrews said. Chase after this. Give it a more earnest heed. Give it everything you've got because he's worth it. He's worth it. You're not going to regret it. Whatever it is in your life, Whatever things are taking over, whether it be whether it be family, and family's a good thing. I love my family. Family's a good thing. Whether it be a job, jobs are a good thing. I love my job. Whatever it is, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight.